2: I want to do something. This is a fun little exercise. You can do this right in your house. I want you to turn over to Mark chapter 2. You're going to see the word sinner, and you're going to see the word tax collector over and over again. So right there in your house, or if you're watching on TV or on on your iPad or on your phone, as I read through the text, every time I say the word sinner, I want you just to hold your nose and go like this, okay? Okay, just do that, all right? Stinky. Sinners are stinky, okay? Okay? And when I say tax collector, I want you to put your thumb down and just go boo. Mark chapter 2, verse 13, we're looking at Jesus' devotion to the sinners. Verse 13, once again, Jesus went out beside a lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to what? To teach them. Verse 14, as he walked along. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed Jesus. Verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, the Bible says that there were many tax collectors, boo, and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. Verse 16. This is Mark chapter 2 verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with the sinners and the tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you read this Bible, cover to cover. It is made up of stories just like this story of Jesus meeting with tax collectors and sinners in Mark chapter two. You'll read stories about people that are lost or broken or disillusioned and God in his love reaches out to them. Over and over again, we talked last week about the shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one went astray, one went astray. The shepherd went and found that one lost sheep. It's the picture of the love of God. There's a story in the Bible of a woman named Rahab who was a harlot, yet God saved her because that's the type of people God saves. There's a story about a leper who is sick and Jesus reaches out and touches and heals someone with a disease because that's the type of man he was, the type of savior he was. There's a book in the Bible called Hosea. It's about a man who marries a woman named Gomer, and Gomer is a woman of the night, and so he goes out and he marries this this woman of the night. He redeems her, and he restores her, and uh, takes care of her, and what does she do to show her appreciation? She turns and she goes right back out into a life of sin. She left Hosea. And God and Hosea said, what do you want me to do now, God? God said, Hosea, I want you to go get her again. Go redeem her again. Why would God say that? Because that's the type of God we serve. He wants to give you a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance There's a man named Peter who asked Jesus, how many times am I supposed to forgive people? Seven times? Jesus said not seven times, but 70 times seven. You're to just keep forgiving people the way I have forgiven you. We remember that Jesus turned to the thief, a a guy on the cross, as Jesus was dying. One of his last words was to a, a thief who had done nothing but rob and steal from people his entire life. Yet Jesus showed mercy. Jesus showed compassion. He told the thief, today you will be with me in paradise. All of these stories illustrate how much God is devoted to reaching lost sinners. Today, if you just looked at the people in the room where you're you're seated there, I mean, just take a look at who's here. We had had close to 20,000 people watching the sermon last week. Now think about that, 20,000 people. You know these people have... Many of them, their lives are messed up. They have drifted away from God. The Bible says that we've all sinned. The Bible says that we've all fallen short. We've all made mistakes. We've all sinned. We all have transgressions. We all have a past. And yet, yet, even though we have a bad past, even though we have skeletons in the closet, even though we've made many mistakes, Jesus loves us unconditionally his desire, his intent. Now hear me, that no matter how flawed we are, no matter how great our addictions may be, no matter how far we have drifted away from God, no matter how deep into sin we are, his desire, his intent is to redeem us, to restore us, to forgive us, and to love us. Many times we in the church, we like to trample on the fallen Jesus likes to restore the fallen, and if you're listening here today, I just want you to know that if you're broken, or if you're discouraged, or you're downhearted, or you're fearful, if you feel unloved, if you feel unwelcomed, if you feel unfixable, you need to come to Jesus Because there's nothing in your life that you could ever do that would cause God to love you any more than he already loves you. And there's nothing you could ever do to ever cause God to love you any less than what he already does. He loves you unconditionally. I want you to go back and look at verse 15. Mark chapter 2. There's a couple more verses. Look at verse 15. We read this once already, but there's one word in verse 15 that's in there two times. And it's the word many. Look at verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, the Bible says there there weren't just a few tax collectors and sinners. The Bible says there were many tax collectors and many sinners that were eating with him and his disciples. For there were, here it is for the second time, there were many who followed him. Jesus wasn't some weird, creepy guy that no one wanted to be around. No. He was so unique, so kind, he was so engaging, he was so sincere, so loving, so genuinely concerned about others that many people were drawn to him. There were many tax collectors and many sinners that just wanted to be around Jesus. Jesus didn't care how wealthy they were. He didn't care what color their skin was. He didn't care what their social status was. He didn't care if they were a saint or a sinner. He didn't even care if they were in the church or out of the church. He loved tax collectors. He loved sinners. He loved lost people. He loves you and he loves me. That's what you need to know and understand that the Bible talks about that. I've read through the Gospel of John. I don't know if you've ever just read through one of the Gospels. And just look, look at all the people that Jesus hung out with. In John chapter 1, he's with some fishermen. Some stinking, smelling, uneducated, dirty, foul-mouthed fishermen. That's who he's hanging out with in John chapter 1. John chapter 2, he's at a wedding. You know what happens at a wedding. You know what kind of crowd gathers at a wedding, and Jesus was one that turned the water into the wine in John chapter 2. John chapter 3, he's with a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. John chapter 4, he's with a Samaritan woman that has been married and divorced five times. She got married and divorced, married and divorced, married and divorced, married and divorced, married and divorced and finally, she, now she's just living, this guy number six, she's just living with guy number six. And yet Jesus spent time with her and tried to reach her and, and lead her into a saving relationship with his heavenly father. John chapter five, he's at a feast uh, called the Feast of the Jews in Jerusalem. And the Jews were the one, of course, that ended up rejecting him. In John chapter six, he feeds 5,000, he's at a picnic And he feeds Jesus. He feeds 5,000 people. You know there were some good people and there were some bad people in that crowd. He fed all 5,000 of them. And he himself picked up the tab. John chapter 7, he stands once again before the scribes and the Pharisees. In John chapter 8, he's with the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. On and on it goes. The devotion that Jesus showed to lost sinners. Now look at verse 17. This is one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Verse 17, it says, On hearing this, on hearing what? Well, the question that was up there in verse 16, where the disciples asked, Why does he eat with tax collectors and why does he eat with sinners? Jesus said this, verse 17, On hearing this, Jesus said to them, But I think he said, You knuckleheads, is what he said. You knuckleheads, here's what he said it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He said, I've not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners. It's why he came to this earth in the first place, not for people who are righteous. He came for unrighteous people. Can you imagine a doctor who says, I only see healthy patients. That's all I see. You're sick. Oh, I can't see you. I only see healthy patients. Can you imagine a dentist who says, I only see people with perfect teeth? Well, that doesn't even make any sense. Can you imagine a firefighter who says, I only go to houses that are not burning. Doesn't make sense. Jesus is called Savior. And the reason he's called Savior is because he goes out and he seeks and he searches and he saves lost people. It's why he came. And I just want you to know, so should we. We should have the same passion and the same zeal to love people unconditionally. Can someone say amen to that? It is so sad to me. I look around. Now listen, I'm like you. I look around. I see so many people right now that are living in fear. And this is our moment. It's the church's moment to show people faith and to point people to Jesus because Jesus came to save. All I hear are people complaining. I hear people worried. I hear people that are upset. And and what we need to do is to serve and to love and to pray and to be the hands and feet of Jesus to this city and to this world that is hopelessly lost during this moment. You know, the average church, the average church. Now, if you come to Shepherd, you're not a part of an average church. The average church, the normal church in America has less than one convert per year less than one convert per year now here's what that means here at shepherd we'll have a thousand people that are baptized just about every year we have a thousand people now if we have a thousand baptisms that means that there are a thousand churches that don't have a single convert not a single convert think about that if we have a thousand That means there's a 1,000 churches that don't have a single convert if the average is less than one convert per congregation. I want you to write this down in your notes. The church is the only business that can go out of business and stay in business. I want to say that to you again. The church is the only business that can go out of business and stay in business. Listen, the goal, the Great Commission for the church is to take the gospel to every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. I want to tell you again, when the church stops showing compassion and mercy for the lost, then it quits being the church. When the church stops loving and reaching out to the unsaved, then it ceases being a church. When the church only cares about saved people, then it stops being a church and it becomes nothing but a social club. Listen, don't ever say to me, it's so hard for me to be a Christian where I live. It's so hard for me to be a Christian where I work. It's so hard for me to be a Christian at my school or around my friends. Brother, that's exactly where you're supposed to be. Has it ever dawned on you that God in heaven picked you, he selected you, he chose you to be a witness to be a testimony to his grace, to his love, and to his mercy to every single person you come in contact with. And all God's people said, amen and amen. So three reasons why I know he loves me unconditionally. Number one is the declaration of the scriptures. Number two, when I read Jesus's devotion to sinners, but here's number three, the death of the savior. When you think about the death of the savior, when you think about what Jesus did on that cross for you, and for me, you can't help but know that he loves us unconditionally. John chapter 15, verse 13 says, There's greater love has no one than this, that he that laid down his life for his what? For his friends. Read that verse again, John fifteen thirteen. Greater love has no one than this, than he that laid down his life for his friends. And I I suppose, you know, that's true. I, I, I think there's some husbands watching right now. There are some who would be willing to lay down their life for their wife. Amen. I think there's some mothers and there's some women listening right now. You would be willing to lay down your life for your children if need be. Oh, and there might even be some siblings out here who would be willing to lay down your life for your fellow sibling. Not me, but maybe you. Oh, listen to me. The Bible says, greater love has no one than this, than someone who would lay down his life for his friends. You know, it's like a friend. Now, look at Romans 5, verse 7. It says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But look at Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, not his friend, while we, we were still sinners, that Christ died for us. Christ died for us. Ladies and gentlemen, all you've got to do is look at the cross And know that when Jesus went to that cross, he was beaten, he was stripped, he was mocked, his beard was plucked, they spit in his face again and again. The Bible says they beat his face so bad, not that his face no longer looked like a man. It says that he no no longer even looked like a human being. He was beat that bad. And then he goes to the cross and he drives those nails. They drove those nails through his hands and through his feet. They put a crown of thorns upon his brow. They thrust that spear into his side. And when Jesus died on that cross, you have to see that when he died on that cross, that he died for you. Christ died for us. He died for you. In other words, we should have had to have died. We should have had to be nailed to that cross because we were the ones that committed the sin. But God loved us so much that he was willing to give up his one and only son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. I want you to look at this picture. This is a a mom and a dad, Gary and Mary Jane, and they have a girl named Andrea, and Andrea was 11 years old. This is in the newspaper. I, I actually was reading the newspaper and found this article myself. Andrea, this 11, she's 11, this 11 year old girl, she had cerebral palsy. Now they say that she was a straight A student and they say that she was a bright student that everybody loved her, but she had cerebral palsy. She couldn't walk. She was bound to a wheelchair. And this is a true story that happened several years ago. Her mom and her dad decided they wanted to put her on a train so that she could experience what it's like, you know, to move. And they put her on a train that went across uh, the southern states, that went across what's called the Alabama Bayou. And as that train, the mom and dad and that girl, they were on that train and they were, they were going down the railroad tracks. There was a bridge or a, an accident of some sort. And there was a train wreck. And at the time, it was the largest ever train crash in the history of Amtrak at the time. And the railroad car that had this little girl, then mom and dad, it went off the track and it turned sideways. And the railroad car was completely submerged underneath the murky Alabama Bayou water. That train, that train car was submerged on its side and underneath the water. Now, if you read this article and I have it here in The mom and dad perished in that train accident. But that little girl, Andrea, lived. Now, how did she live? She couldn't even walk. She's in a wheelchair. They had her on that train just to experience what it was like to be on a train. Well, when that train, that railroad car, fell off the railroad track and turned sideways and submerged, there was a window that was open. And somebody... They don't know who somebody lifted that little girl up out of that window, complete. The car is submerged, but someone inside that railroad car was lifting that little girl up out of that window. And as she was up out of that window, someone saw her and reached down and rescued her. And in this article, in this article, Andrea, they asked her what happened. And Andrea said, I I don't know what happened. She said, someone lifted me out of that window. She said this. She says, I don't know who it was, but I think, I think it was my mom and my dad. And when I read that article, I wanted to say, Andrea, 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 it's not that I think. I know, I know, I know it was your mom and dad that lifted you out of that window because I know they loved you the same way I love my children. We would do anything. And in that same way, you and I, in a sense, in a sense, all of us are on a railroad car headed to destruction. Our sin is what leads us down this path of destruction And we find ourselves in a hopeless and a helpless situation. And yet God in his great love and in his great mercy when we didn't deserve it and there was nothing we could do of our own free volition to save ourselves. Someone lifted us up out of that miry clay. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who died on that cross so that you and I could have everlasting life. Amen, amen, and amen. The declaration of the scriptures, his devotion to the sinners, and the death of the Savior. I know, I know, I know that Jesus loves you and he loves me unconditionally. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to close this service up. If anyone is here, if anybody's watching, if anybody's listening and you just feel like you're scared out of your mind or you have no hope and you're worried and you're fearful about your life, about your past, about your sin, about the fact that no one could ever uh, help you turn your life over to God, listen. There's, a, there's the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah. His name is Jesus. And He came to redeem you. He came to restore you. He came to forgive you. I want to pray, God, thank you for every house, for every listener. God, we thank you that during this a difficult time in our world that we can still have this technology where we can still worship and we can still participate in the lord's supper and we can still be the church but lord we have so many people that are living without hope and i just want every listener to know that jesus the christ the son of the living god loves us unconditionally the bible declares it we see it by Jesus' example. And ultimately, he goes to the cross and he dies just so we can have everlasting life. And if anyone, again, is listening that they do not know Jesus or they do not have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, oh, Lord God, help them today to put their faith and their trust in you and in you alone, oh, God.
1: If you were blessed by Pastor Dudley's message, we want you to know our phone counselors are available and ready to pray with you right now. Our number is simple to dial. Call us right now at 888-818-4777. That number again is 888-818-4777. We are ready for any prayer requests or needs you may have. If you would like more information about Pastor Dudley Rutherford, Shepherd Church, or this ministry, visit our website, liftupjesus.com. Our address again is liftupjesus.com. We have a special gift for everyone listening today to help with your daily Bible reading. It's our Anchored Journal, a complete 365-day Bible reading guide and journal that will help you stay connected to God's Word throughout the coming year. It works with any version of the Bible you are currently reading. The Anchored Journal comes in a choice of colors and can be yours right now for a gift of any size to the Lift Up Jesus ministry. It's as simple as calling our toll-free number, 888-818-4777. You won't want to miss out on this limited-time offer, so be sure to call right now. Our number again is 888-818-4777. The anchored Journal can also be found on our website, liftupjesus.com. That address again is liftupjesus.com. Get yourself anchored to God's Word with your personal Anchor Journal today.